Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And we're going to get into what happened with ASU and Sacramento State. We're going to talk about what went on with the Pac-12 generally this week and a little bit about the LSU-Texas game. But first, it is the final rodeo for Doc Benet as the head coach of the South Point Lancers. And they are doing everything they can to make the season special. This week, Bijan Robinson, the Texas commit, rushed for 498 yards and six touchdowns, both school records for the Lancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Against a team that, you know, at least I, I had read. I mean, it's always hard with high school football to know exactly. Uh, you know, it's hard with NFL and college, but it's especially hard in high school. But I had read, you know, was considered one of the better opponents that they had to face this year. Um, uh, you know, up here in, in the Phoenix area, I think Goodyear, Desert Edge. Um, and I know they played them last year at home, and struggled with them i mean they beat them obviously they had an undefeated regular season but it was uh, not an easy game this year they rolled over them um doubled them up in the scoreboard and actually were up bigger than that it kind of you know got a little bit closer uh if 34 points could be considered close so uh yeah they're they're off to a very good start uh, a bizarre little wrinkle that apparently they don't have a game this week because the team they scheduled in texas scheduled another game the same week so so they have an unscheduled off week apparently uh, and only nine games on the slate unless something changes um but yeah certainly a good start and, and you know gotta think they're in position to, to make a run of this open division 18 playoff yeah and then as you and i have talked about uh it's unclear if that's a good thing i mean obviously you're yeah. you're considered yeah. one of the top eight schools that way which is good but it's a it's a much harder uh road to hoe if you're gonna it try is. to actually win a state title i mean we've seen just the last two years going up against Soaro, who's at the 4a level but has you know a base of of talent that they get up here that is just you know, impossible to match coming out of Tucson, it seems like. And they've been beaten by them pretty convincingly both games. I mean, it hasn't been, you know, ridiculously lopsided, but it's been lopsided. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, you you know, I guess it depends on how you think of it. Does getting in the open division feel like, you know, in college basketball making the NCAA tournament? Does it get to that point where it's like, well, that's an accomplishment. You got into the top eight. You know, and, and only one team's going to win it, but you still feel like you did something? Or does it feel like, boy, I wish we'd been number nine and just played in the 4A tournament and been able to win that? And, and I guess time will tell on that. I think it will depend on if the open division continues. Last, I, I agree with you. I was going to say the same thing. It has to be something that, that persists. And we've seen through, you know, just through the 20 years or so since we were in high school, going back to, you know, 2000, how many incarnations have there been of Arizona high school football? There was, you know, we were in 5A, then there was the, you know, Division 1A, Division 1 AA, uh, then they went back to the 5A system, then they added 6A, then we went to 4A. I mean, it's, it's so hard to keep up, so if they don't continue this, I agree, it just becomes a footnote. Yeah. Um... But who is not a footnote is the doctor. We shouldn't forget, uh, as you said, he, he announced that this is going to be his last season and at uh, 19 years. Uh, as I said, you know, 20 years since we were freshmen, uh, he took over when we were sophomores and a uh, pretty darn good run. He got that one state title and has played for the last two and uh, almost every single year has been in the playoffs. 
Uh, he's made South Point football dominant, and he's he's going out with a heck of a team led by this Robinson kid that that's going to place uh, at least three guys, probably more, in you know Power Five schools. So, not a bad way to go out, probably. Yeah, you know, you you think about this. He's already in the Pima County Sports Hall of Fame. That was yeah. thirteen years into his coaching career. Yeah, uh, and since then, all he's done is pile up more and more victories. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I remember a few years back, you sent me a stat of his, you know, whatever his winning percentage was at that time, and it's only gotten better. Yeah, uh, well, because, he you know, going the last in- two years, they've lost three total games, two in the state championship. So. Going into this season, he was 174 and 43 at yeah. South Point. Yeah, yeah. So, so now 176 with the two wins so far this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. And I mean, you know, year by year, I think they had. I remember a few years back they had a year where they went like five and five or six and four. They still got in the playoffs because it was a you know again the the region alignment was what it was. They could they were the region champs. Uh, but it seems like you know pretty much every other year it's been eight, nine, sometimes all ten regular season wins. Uh, making a run in the playoffs. I mean, if, you know, our our junior year, they were undefeated and, and got upset in the quarterfinals, I believe. Uh, and I think he's had probably, I mean, off the top of my head, at least three or four other unbeaten regular seasons. So, I mean, he's made them the dominant power in, in Tucson, uh, which, again, you know, you're you're fighting an uphill battle to be any more than that uh, with the resources that Phoenix schools have, just, just numbers more than anything else uh, just just more talent available um, and bigger schools and all of that and, and he's you know he, he's managed to keep up and, and again even win one state title which is uh, hard to do for a Tucson school you don't see too many of them occur and you think about the players he's churned out you know obviously in our class Caduce went to Notre Dame Gronky yeah. went to Hawaii but now he's got you know a Texas running back, an Ohio State safety, a UCLA offensive lineman. That, yeah. That's pretty legit. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I have discussed that a few times, the, the difference in, you know, the fact that now it's, you know, yeah, we, we had some guys that, you know, uh, went to, went to you know, FBS schools. It wasn't called FBS back then. Uh, Notre Dame, obviously, was the exception back then to, to you know, for Caduce to go. It was, it was Hawaii. It was Nevada. Uh, you know, schools Adam like State. that. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you know, good, good, solid schools, and no shame in that. You know, certainly, you know, to be a scholarship football player at at Nevada is not not anything to hang your head about. But to be a scholarship football player at Texas and Ohio State it is more notable. There's there's no disputing that. Those are two of the crown jewels of college football, and and to send two guys there, and uh, you know, yeah, Fina's going to UCLA. You got a guy that'll miss right now. Right, right, uh, and you got this uh, Miller, the offensive lineman, who I don't think is committed anywhere yet, but is is you know probably going to end up at a at a power five school too. So yeah, I mean it's it's a good way to go out. Whether they can go out winning a state title, uh, you know, again, if they get in that open division and you're competing with Chandler and Centennial and those type of teams, I don't think they have any chance. Um, I mean, it just you know Chandler just has so much more numbers in terms of players and uh you know it's impossible i mean chandler has probably 10 guys who will go to power five schools uh but you know if they can get in there that'd be cool and if not hopefully they can win the 4a title because you think saguaro will be in there almost certainly saguaro will be in and 
Archie chiming in with some pro Doc Benet barking. That's right. A little a little salute to the Doc. Yeah, yeah. But uh, of course, you and I have our own memories of the Doc sitting in his office in. I believe it was that second year when he just faded out, kind of just started staring out the window as we interviewed him with Kevin Brady. Uh, and from there, you know, a, a lifelong love was born. I don't know why. It's, it doesn't sound like a magical moment, but it was. And, and you know as well as I do what I mean. He, he treated us like real people and he was trying to he give did. us a thoughtful answer and he it did. was weird. <laughs> he did. It was just he did a weird thing. Well. I mean, I, you know, I say that and, and you know, the, the experience is one I'll never forget because it was like he just faded out on us um, and then came back, but he did treat us well, you know, and, and granted, I mean, it's high school football and he wasn't, you know, it's not like he was uh, dealing with requests from the New York Times along with the, you know, the South Point uh, newspaper, but uh, you know, he, he didn't he didn't look down on us, um, and, and he did treat us well. I took his class, you know, as, as a freshman when he was the assistant coach, uh, and, and you know enjoyed him as a teacher. Thought he you know was a, was a good teacher and, and kind of a down to earth guy. And I mean, I know he rubbed some people the wrong way there um, because of you know people just have a problem with athletics that sometimes in high school. And especially at a place like that, I'm sure there's some people who feel like athletics are a drain on the resources of the school. Um, but you and I, of course, don't think that way. And, you know, just a philosophical difference. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed getting to know him. I thought he was a good guy. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sad to see him go. But, hey, every, every era has got to come to an end. And, and it's been a pretty good era. And he's been there for a good long run. And it's hard yes. to... Uh, you know, it's hard to think of guys who've done it longer. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's there's not that many. Uh, I mean, you know, if you if you think about, there's guys in Tucson who have coached longer, but not at the same school. I mean, like Jeff Skurin has been at you know, it seems like twenty five different places, and I'm only slightly exaggerating. Um, you know, but there's not a lot of guys who you would just associate you know with one school. The only one I could think of offhand. It wasn't it Vern Friedley at Amphi? Yeah, when we were kids, it was, he was there for a long time. For me, it's him and it's uh, Richard Sanchez from Sunnyside. Sunnyside. I was thinking about it, yeah. As I said that, yeah, yeah, he was there a while. He's not there anymore, I don't think. No. Is he? No, he's not. Okay. But. Yeah, yeah. So, and those were good. I mean, they they had good programs back then when those guys were there. Um, they've both faded a fair amount since then. Amphi's really seemingly been hit by the. The, you know, more schools in their district, and they they're not anywhere near what they were when we were kids. I mean, I remember before we started at South Point, Amphi was the power in Tucson. It seemed like, uh, and that's completely changed with the changes in enrollment. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been fun being a South Point fan over the years, and you know, uh, still you know, I mean, just this Friday as I was at the ASU game, which you know we can use this as transition. Uh, you know, checking checking scores and, and expecting, just expecting to check Twitter and see, oh, South Point's probably up by multiple touchdowns. And most of the time they are. And that's that's pretty cool to, you know, to just have that feel. It's, it must be like what it is to be an Alabama fan in college football where it's like, yeah, my team's playing and we're probably going to win big most games. There's maybe two or three that i got to worry about. But other than that, we're just going to take care of business. You don't have that same comfort as a Sun Devil fan. So... ASU, on the plus side, uh, got the win 
and held the Sacramento. <laughs> that might be it. They they held the Sacramento State Hornets to a single touchdown after yeah. Southern Oregon allowed seventy seven points to the Hornets. Right. So um, yeah, we know if we play Southern Oregon, we match up well. But that might be where the positives end, as you said. Jaden Daniels, seventeen of twenty seven, three hundred and four yards and a touchdown. Our you know backup walk on kicker Christians and Dejas yeah. hit four field goals. Yeah. Uh, which was the difference in the game. It was a very late, long uh, run after a short pass to Eno Benjamin for the lone Sun Devil uh-huh. score. Uh-huh. Uh, and I did not see the game. I listened to it on the radio, followed it on my phone. Yeah. It seemed sloppy. You know, ASU got in the red zone and fumbled the ball through the end zone after dropping a touchdown pass. Yes, um, back-to-back plays. Yeah, yeah. You know, big plays called back for penalties on a number of occasions, including Brandon Ayuk, who I know has drawn some uh, sideways glances from you through two games for his mental lapses. Two games in a row, he's cost us points. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, well, he caught a chance at points uh, before the half against Kent State by not, you know, going down right away. And he certainly cost us points in this game because that was a touchdown pass that was taken off the board. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you're an offense that's struggling to find rhythm and this offense is, and we, we will discuss that, uh, you cannot give away points. And, and that's what we did too much in that game. I mean, you know, I read Doug Haller pointed out and he's correct that, you know, yeah, they scored 19, but they had, you know, again, you know, Carter drops what probably would have been a walk-in touchdown down the next play makes a tough catch and fumbles. I think he was in. The replay wasn't clear, and they called it a fumble on the field, and, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, so that's seven points off the board. And then, you know, a long touchdown to Darby's taken off because of a blindside block on Ayuk that had nothing to do with the play. Uh, you know, good call, but again, just don't do it. I mean, I'm not blaming the official. I'm blaming him. Um, that's 14 points off the board, and, and you know, the, the feeling would be different if you won that game 33-7. to Still not great, but you'd look at it and say, okay, not bad. But to only score one touchdown against an FCS opponent and not a premier FCS opponent. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, James Madison or North Dakota State or Eastern Washington. We're talking about a team that went 2-8 and eight last year. That's worrisome to me. Very worrisome. Yeah, the, uh, the offensive line, plus side, only allowed one sack. Downside yeah, that was, could not generate a run block to save their lives no, most of the game. No, that was that was probably. I mean, and, and this is one of the things I've been thinking the last you know thirty six hours or so as ASU has come to mind is that you know I think we regressed from week one to week two offensively. Now the only thing you could point to was the sacks were less, um, but in every other way we were not as good. We didn't run the ball as well. Uh, we scored less points. I believe we had less total yards, less first downs, uh, you know, and this should have been a drop in competition from Kent State to Sacramento State. I mean, it'd be different if we had played Kent State and then played Michigan State. Okay, you'd expect probably some regression from week one to week two. Uh, but this should have been easier, and it was harder. And that's, I guess, the, the biggest thing I'm worried about is, like, yes, I spent the whole offseason and preseason saying I expected the offense to have some growing pains, uh, but I didn't. I didn't expect them to be this bad. I expected some sloppiness, maybe some turnovers, maybe some inconsistency. Uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of inconsistency. We're seeing consistently poor. 
And that, I guess, is more worrisome to me than, than what I thought it would be. Uh, before we get too far afield, it's worth noting Michigan State pounded Western Michigan 51-17. Uh, Brian Lewerke had three touchdowns. Elijah Collins rushed 17 times for 192 yards. All things that indicate danger next yeah. week because yeah. our defense has been solid. Um, although I feel like in both games it sounds like that was some on the defense and some on mistakes made by the opposing offense. Right. Missed passes, right. dropped balls. It was. It was. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I thought we were we were obviously fair and fine, I guess, if you want to put it that way, defensively. Uh, against Sacramento State, but I don't think we were great. Like I, I you know, yes, yeah, seven points is good, but that to me was more a product of, of you know playing a team that just wasn't very good, you know, and, and we were able to overcome mistakes because of drop passes, because of penalties on them, whatever it may be, and that's not going to be the case, you know, going forward. I mean, Michigan State is not a, a tremendously explosive offensive team. They did put up fifty last night. Uh, but, it, you know, it's not a team you expect to, to, you know, run it up on you. But the problem, I guess, is this. It's like with our offense being such a slog right now, um, you know, this just – it has the feel. And we'll, we'll talk more about this game next time we talk. But it just has the feel of a game that's like, you know, 27-7 to 7 or something like that. Maybe not a blowout in terms of a 50-point loss, but a, a game that feels like we have zero chance to win because we can't move the ball and the defense isn't going to be good enough to, you know, hold them to 10 points. That just seems unlikely to me. Uh, if you were looking for positives uh, to take away, you had uh, DJ Davidson with a sack and a half on the defense and, and a yeah. great sack by Darian Butler based on the radio call. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there was, you know, it wasn't a totally negative, but I mean, I was, I was uh, obviously being a bit facetious, saying, you know, well, you can stop there. The fact that we won, uh, there were some positives. I mean, and, and I think you probably, this is both good and bad. You start with the kicker and the punter. <laughs> I mean, punter was good for the second straight week. Kicker was good, and a, and a backup kicker at that was, you know, perfect on his kicks this year. Um, that's good, but. You always hate to start your conversation of positives with the kicker and the punter. Unless you score a special teams touchdown, you don't right, want exactly, to yeah, yeah. Unless the you know, unless the kicker runs a fake in for the game winning touchdown or makes a you know fifty yarder for the game winning kick or something like that. But uh, in a game like that against Sacramento State, I did not want to on Sunday morning think, well, let's see, what were the positives? Uh, the kicker and the punter. Uh, I would have liked to see a whole lot better, certainly offensively. I just, it's just getting, I mean, this is, this is somewhat what I fear the worst case scenario, which is that our running game is being totally bottled up and we're not good enough throwing the ball. We're really, we're showing, you know, the absence of Nikhil Harry. We don't have anybody who we can seemingly trust to get the ball down the field to. Um, I mean, this is, you know, again, it's two games and we're two and oh. But so far, this is worst-case scenario for this offense, I think. Uh, now, hopefully they can find something like they did last year because you remember three games into the year last year, we were struggling offensively. We didn't really have much of an identity. Like, what are we, you know, what, what are we here? And then they found this, you know, running game. And, it, it, you know, it carried us the rest of the year. We won four out of five, finished the year behind it. Benjamin set records. So, you know, that's what you got to put your faith in 
is is that something's going to be found in in the study and the practice uh, because what I've seen so far is very good. I didn't obviously get to see the game, so maybe it's just from reading the box score, but Daniels had a fine statistical game. He rushed for 25 yards. He threw for 300 yards and a touchdown. But am I reading it right that we don't really throw a lot of 15 to 25-yard passes? It's all short or You're exactly right. Yes, yes. This is a game – We've, we've had some, I mean, we always used to talk about Taylor Kelly like that, where it's like, you know, you watch the game and you think, he's not really playing that well. Then you look at the stats and think, no, I guess it's a pretty good game. This reminded me of that because, yeah, you point him out, the numbers look good for Daniels. Uh, but, yeah, we, we don't get the ball down the field at all, it seems like. Um, I mean, it, you know, once again, we had a, you know, a 70-plus yard touchdown pass for the second straight week. Both of them have been short passes where the you know the receiver slash running back in this case made it all happen after the catch which is great i mean you know you don't lose points because it happened after the catch uh you know it still counts the same but still it's it's not i don't think it's sustainable when you start playing better competition and that obviously begins this week you're not going to have 70 yard catch and runs against michigan state in all likelihood you can't count on those um and, and so you've got to be able to move the ball down the field, uh, you know, at a, at a methodical pace. And we haven't shown that. And that's exactly it. It's those it's those 10 to 20 yard passes that, you know, the chain movers that and, and we're going to talk LSU, Texas, but they, they happened all the time in that game last night. Both teams, like you know, third and nine was no no problem for either team. For us, it seems like a death sentence. We get into third and long and it's like, yep, might as well bring the punter out. Yeah. Which hash mark and, and, does Turk feel more comfortable on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, you know, even third and goal down. So the first half drive, not the one where Carter fumbled, the one that ended in the field goal, the only score of the half. We got we got inside the 10. Uh, third goal, we try to run some wide receiver screen that had no chance of succeeding. We get bailed out by the, they call the holding on the defense. So we get a, it's not an automatic first down, but we get another chance at it. We bring in Ethan Long to run the you know Sparky play, and we snap the ball ten yards over his head. I mean that was that was emblematic of the ASU offense in the, in the first two games, two two third and goals, and neither play had any chance of success. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. It's not. It's not. I mean the the you know the biggest thing I guess I've thought, and I kind of said it you know a little bit ago. If you're feeling good about this season you're basing it on stuff we haven't seen yet. You're basing it on stuff you think you're going to see based on what we did last year. And that may not be wrong, may not be a faulty presumption, you know, because they did do it last year. But if you're just, you know, if you could whitewash the memories of last year, just evaluate this team on the first two games, you'd think, boy, this is going to be a rough season. I hope that's not true, but what they've shown so far, it's not confidence-inspiring. Well, and it goes to a point that you and I have talked about, which is these games, you're not going to feel great. No. But but you're not going to feel – You shouldn't feel bad. You hope not to feel – yeah, yeah. I mean, you you pointed out Michigan State. Michigan State did in their first two games what what you'd want to do, playing two overmatched teams. 
They went 28 to seven. They dominated Tulsa, you know, minus 73 rushing yards with sacks. And then they put up 50 points on Western Michigan and they cruise in the second half. That's what you want to do when you're playing two opening games that you're, you know, okay, we're, you know, we could play sloppy and win, but let's go out and look convincing. And then, and then we'll see, you know, for Michigan state, we'll find out how good they are when they play Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state. And, you know, those type of teams, we don't know much yet, but you, you feel okay as a fan of theirs right now thinking, all right, we took care of business the first two games like we should. That's not what I've seen from ASU. And the fact we haven't we haven't totaled 50 points in two games is like, wow. I mean, uh, you know, most of these games you're thinking 50 points for that game, you know, when you're playing Sacramento State. Last time we played them, we beat them 55 nothing. Uh, you know, that's kind of what you're thinking going into a game like that. We've played 120 minutes of football and haven't touched 50. Um, let's look around the rest of the conference real quick before we get into that LSU Texas game. So yeah, the two big storylines, the California golden bears go on the road to Washington and pull out a Man. 20 to 19 victory. Um, in a bizarre, bizarre game, you know, two and a half hour weather delay or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, and Washington got out early, up 10 nothing in the second. Yeah. It seemed to be going their way. In the third, Cal came back to tie it. Uh, then Washington answered with a field goal. But, but then it just sort of was back and forth and weird. Yeah. And, and, you know, it came down to – and this is what happens when you let a team hang around. It was my fear in the Sacramento State yeah. game, obviously. Yep. Oh, was, yeah. You know, Cal got the ball back down too. And drove 74 yards to set up the field goal to win the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it was a game. Uh, no, I didn't see any of it. I planned to watch a fair amount of it. And then, you know, the, the weather delay occurred and I lasted as long as I could. And I thought, all right, I'm done. And yeah, I woke up this morning and saw that it was a one point final. So, um, but uh, yeah, just, just, that's the kind of game Cal wants to play. Cal is, is kind of, uh, kind of in a way, I mean, they're not as good. But they've kind of become, you know, what Stanford wanted to be for many years and and has kind of gotten away from the last couple of years with a more open offense. But, you know, they want to grind you out. They're, they're not really – they're not intended to put up 35 points. If you put up 35 on them, they're probably going to get beat. But if they can hold you to field goals, force a couple turnovers, um, you know, run the ball and, you know, make a kick at the end, that was, that was Cal to a team. Yeah, uh, disappointing loss for Washington, though. I mean, it, it, you left Week One thinking, okay. I mean, granted it was Eastern Washington, but you thought, all right, this this team might be for real, and that's a step back. And then Stanford loses last night to USC. USC looked really good. Um, so you know, a couple of the teams that after Week One you might have thought the Pac-12, all right, you know, let's see what they can do. It was a step back week for both of them. Talking about the USC game briefly. 45-20, the Trojans up and the Cardinal. Um, first start for Slovis, uh, who comes yeah. from Scottsdale. So yeah. that's it. Always and if you fun. watch the game for even two minutes, you know that Kurt Warner was an assistant coach at his high school. And if you watched it for two-plus hours like I did, you heard it about 65 times. It's the new Brock Osweiler is 6'8". Did yeah. you know that Kurt Warner was his coach in high school? Like, uh-huh. Uh, but that's an aside. Uh, he did play extremely well. And, and uh, yeah, it was it was a wow. I mean, Stanford started out the game dominating them. It was 17-3. Uh, 
and you thought, ooh, it's going to get ugly in the Coliseum. And then from there, they outscored him 42-3 to and absolutely controlled the game. I mean, the second half was a 21 nothing shutout. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, they found rhythm offensively, and then Stanford couldn't answer. And, yeah, they were they were impressive. And, and to the point where you start looking and thinking, what if USC has a good year? Like, no one's really accounted for that possibility. Uh, you know, everybody's just been on death watch for Clay Helton, and then when JT Daniels gets hurt last week, it just picks up, and oh, oh my God, it's going to be horrible. Well, maybe this kid's pretty good, and if he is, they still got this amazing group of receivers, and they've got talent. I mean, it's not for lack of talent that that you know they didn't win many games last year. So, like, who knows? I mean, I don't think they're going to you know go twelve and zero or anything. I'm not saying that, but what if they win nine games? Has anybody accounted for that possibility? I don't think really many people have. I certainly didn't. Well, they play at BYU next weekend, and then comes the run that right. is the test. Home it's to Utah, tough, yeah. at Washington, at Notre Dame. Yeah, but looking at that, I mean, just, just now, again, am I a little bit recency biased? Probably. But we know Utah. So Utah's at USC, right? Yes. So, you know, not as tough. I mean, going to Utah's tough. You get them at home. Uh, Utah is not a team that scores a ton of points. They're a little bit like Stanford. Uh, they struggled yesterday with Northern Illinois for a half. They ended up putting them away, but, you know, struggled a bit. And and then, you know, did Washington look great last night? Obviously not. So you look at that and think, well, I mean, I don't expect them to win all three of those. But if they can beat BYU, and I think they can. I know BYU beat Tennessee yesterday, but, but that may say more about Tennessee. Tennessee. Right. Right, you know, so I think they can beat BYU if they can win one of those three, even one. They're four and two, and and especially if if uh, the one of the losses is Notre Dame, let's say it is. You know, they're four and two with one loss in conference going into a second half that doesn't look as tough. I mean, all of a sudden, and you, to your credit, you kind of mentioned this when we talked Pac-12 ahead of the season. Uh, you know, you said, well, you know, what if they get hot and and then the second half's easier and like. Yeah, it might happen. I mean, I, who knows? It's a long ways. They're only 2-0. and oh. But all of a sudden, you look at it and think, well, is there a path there for them to go, you know, 9-3 and three and 7-2 and two and win the South? Kind of looks like it. Well, considering that you would have, if you were looking at their schedule, picked this Stanford game as a loss and picked that yeah. Rhode-Washington game as a loss. And now I'm not sure about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like, and you all of a sudden look at it and think, okay, if they can – if they can split those two with Utah, Washington, and you know they lose to Notre Dame, maybe. But who knows? Notre Dame didn't look all that impressive in Week One either. But yeah. still, it's a road game. You, you still probably put that down as a loss right now. Yeah. They're home but, against Arizona. That's a win. They're at Colorado, be. which that was a good win for Colorado this week. It was beating uh, it was. Nebraska in overtime. But that that'll be an interesting game. Then they sure. get Oregon at home. They're at ASU, which who knows what we'll look like in who November. Knows, right. Same right. with Cal, and then UCLA looks like a dumpster UCLA. fire again. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, it's not I, – I don't want to say, you know, we, we do this, and we all do it. I try to stop myself, but you can't help it. You watch a game, and a team looks really good, and you think, oh, my gosh, they're going to look that good every game. Well, not always. And, and the opposite is true sometimes, too. team looks bad. And, you know, you think, that, uh, I don't know about that team. And then the next week, they look really good. Um, so who knows? But, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking that as I watched that game last night. Like, the whole storyline has been, okay, when does Clay Helton get fired? Not if, but when. Does he make it through the season? Or does it, you know, does he not even make it to October? 
Um, and then when Daniels gets hurt, it's like, oh, God, this season, which already was going to be bad, is going to be even worse. Now you're thinking, maybe not. Uh, maybe they got something with this kid. Todd McShay was slobbering all over him last night. I mean, he was calling him the next Sam Darnold multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and maybe he is. Who knows? Yeah, well, it would prove Lynn Swan right. It would. It would. I mean, it would be kind of funny. Like, I'm not – I don't hate USC. I'm not a USC fan either necessarily. Uh, you know, I respect their program, and I always like when they're good because it, it means something when they come in here. But it would be funny with all the all the know-it-alls out there. I always kind of root for that when, when you know, 100% of the people seem to think this is stupid. I always kind of think, you know, it would be kind of funny if it worked out well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't I – would, I would take some joy in the humor, I guess, of that. If it's like, you know, if he could say, see, I told you. Hang with him, uh, you know. Everybody would would probably go running for cover. Well, we didn't know that this freshman kid was going to be that good at quarterback, and that's why they're good. It's not because of Clay Helton. Uh, maybe true, maybe not. Who no, knows? Clay Helton brought him in, so he did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's always it's always funny how that that works. You know, it's like uh, it's like the, the you know the the legacy of those Cardinals of the late twenty you know late two thousands with Warner. You know, everybody has kind of just given Warner credit for that. And Warner certainly played well, but Ken Wesner gave him the chance to play. Most coaches wouldn't have. And everybody has kind of forgotten now. Warner carried Wisenhunt. Well, eh, okay, maybe. Um, how many coaches would have even given him that chance? Because most wouldn't have. Most would have thought, this guy's washed up and done. I'm going with my young guy. He was the one who gave him the opportunity. So, he always perception becomes an interesting thing in sports, I guess. Uh, let's close our college football roundtable talking about a pair of teams that are perennial powers and are both on the Matt Story top five favorite teams list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, who are we talking about here? The LSU Tigers at the Texas Longhorns. Okay. Well, I don't know about LSU being on the top five. You love, sure the, you love Mike the Tiger. I do it well. Okay. There's things about... LSU that I love. I want to see Tiger Stadium. I love the Tiger. Yeah. Okay. Are you talking just mascots? I'm just talking about things you love. You love Bevo. Okay. You love okay. like the Fair Tiger. Enough. I do. I do. Now I love Texas. Uh, you know, Texas is behind ASU. I've got my my second tier is Texas, Florida State, Notre Dame. Those are my those are my schools. I always root for in football, no matter what, unless they're playing ASU. Um, LSU's not quite there, but yes, I, I love the pomp and circumstance of LSU football. The, you know, I want to see a night game at Tiger Stadium. That is true. Fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that. And Mike the Tiger is is a great mascot, but it's not Bevo. Bevo's, well, Bevo we, wins. We also know your preference for a live-action mascot. I do. I do. I love, I love live-animal mascots. Yes, Ugga, Bevo, Mike the Tiger, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, even Ralphie's probably up there. Yeah, it is a good one. I wish I wish they brought him on the road, like uh, like Devo goes with Texas to bowl games or something. But no such luck. You got to go to Colorado to see Ralphie. Um, but this game, the the marquee game of the weekend, and it lived up to the hype. You know, it a did. back it and did. forth I was hard say the game. Exact same thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, LSU looked dominant in the first half. Um, Texas comes roaring back and uh, makes it a touchdown game. Now, yeah, I, yeah. I don't I mean, think you write a, off either school, but a big no. win for LSU on the road with a quarterback who looked competent and who they trusted to throw the ball. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looked, you know, Herb Street was saying it throughout the game. It, you know, it, it definitely, you know, you hear a lot in the offseason. A lot of teams say, we're going to do things different offensively. It's the old Herb Sendek uh, to, to cross sports. How many offseasons did we hear? We're going to run and gun. We're going to shoot it all over. We're going to fast break. And then when the real game starts, it's like, eh, this looks pretty similar. Well, I mean, it's only two games, but LSU looks like they're, they're – uh, putting their money where their mouth is about their offense was going to look different. They were going to throw the ball more. They were going to be faster paced. Uh, I mean, it does not look like an LSU offense, but that's good. I mean, the LSU offense was always their weak link. You always, you know, going into a big game with LSU, you always thought, well, if you can put up 20 points on them, you can probably beat them. Um, That's not the case now. I mean, if you had told Texas, you know, six months ago, you put up 38 points on LSU, you probably would have thought, well, we'll win that game comfortably, uh, you know. So it was it was uh, impressive. I mean, those three receivers they got are really good. Um, I mean, they they all made big plays last night. Um, but I was I was I mean, as as a Texas fan, as I mentioned, I wasn't totally discouraged by what I saw from Texas. I mean, it's disappointing to lose, but Ellinger played well. Um, their running game is so hit by injuries right now that they didn't have much. If those guys can come back, that'll give them more balance. And they're, you know, their secondary is young, and they just need to get better there. They just, they just need to get better, and hopefully they will, you know, especially in the next four or five weeks before they play Oklahoma. Um, so, you know, I, I wasn't that unhappy with – I mean, I was unhappy they lost, but I agree with you. Not giving up on them. They, no, they I showed, well, they showed Moxie staying in the game and continuing to fight back, and they just couldn't get the stop they needed. When it came right down to it, they needed one defensive stop, and they couldn't get it. Well, and the other thing about it is they got stoned twice on goal-to-goal situations yes, early in the game. back-to-back, yeah. You know, yeah. you punch either one of those in, it's a different game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one up the fourth down, the first one, where Ingram drops the— I mean, just flat dropped a touchdown. Like, you well, couldn't have an easier and, catch. And what a great play design to stack the right play. side oh, and man. have Ellinger roll right so that it's man. everyone thinks he's going to run on fourth and short. You're right. You're right. It was a great play design. And it, I mean, it was one of those where, you know, I guess it's the ultimate example of, like, you can be the greatest coach in the world, but you got to have the players execute it because <laughs> it was drawn up perfectly and, you know, Everybody executed it right all the way to the last step, which was catching the ball in the end zone. Uh, but, yeah, and then they get the interception, you know, bring it back inside the five, get another set of downs and get stoned there. That one I did not. The, the fourth down play was, was a dumb play. Uh, it was very predictable. As good as the first fourth down play was, the second one was, was as predictable as it gets. Oh, and it, was almost a, power. it was almost a knee-jerk reaction to the other one of, well, now we can't take the ball out of, we can't take the ball out of hands. We yeah, can't trust yeah, anyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree, yeah. But but I will say, I mean, they were talking about it last night. I'm always I'm always hesitant to, you know, crown a guy, you know, until he really establishes himself. Ellinger seems to be doing that. Like after last year, and he played well last night. He really did. He ran it, he threw it. Uh, he kept them in the game. Every time it seemed like, you know, LSU had, had iced the game, they'd answer back with a good drive. Um, you know, it's it's nice. I mean, it's been a while since Texas has had a quarterback you could feel really confident in. Colt McCoy was the last one, and it's been a revolving door since then. Uh, you know, Chase McCoy and Garrett Gilbert and David Ash and Tyrone Swoops and a lot of names I'm saying that you probably don't even know because you're thinking, who are those guys? Only Texas fans know those names because it's like, oh, yeah, they were the great hope until they weren't. 
Ellinger appears to be the guy who is up to the billing. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, as a Texas fan, hopefully he'll stay for another year or two. I mean, he's only a junior. I don't know about his NFL capabilities. Um, we'll see, I guess. But, you know, if, if they could have him as a four-year guy, that would be huge. He needs to hope that his comp comes in more Cam Newton, less Tim Tebow. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and, I and he's, he's a better passer than Tebow. I think everyone would concede that. He's a better passer that. than Tebow, but, but is, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably closer to Tebow, if you're, on, if you're honest, just in how he plays the game in college. It's the power run game that sets everything up. Um, Newton was Newton's so big. I mean, Newton is, is like, he's an outlier. Uh, most guys couldn't do that. And even Newton has been beat up. As big as he is, I mean, you know, he's, he's had surgeries, he's had injuries, you know. Um, and Ellinger's, that's the one knock on him so far is that he has had injuries. And they don't have Shane Bouchelle this year to bail them out if he gets hurt this year. So that's the concern is like if he, you know, he's been injured both years, he's been the starter, he's had to miss games. They need him healthy. Um, but you look at that team and it's it's young I mean, young on defense. I'll have a lot of guys. Like, if you if you bring him back, and I'm not giving up on this year by any means. Don't mistake that. But you bring him back next year, that feels like a year you could really do something special. Like, it's set up for you if you have a fourth-year senior starting quarterback next year or with everybody else. But who knows? Uh, well, you got Dijon Robinson in the backfield, so that's you 500 do. yards you do. a game yes, right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he... I mean, look, he's a big-time recruit. He will be a factor next year, I would think. I mean, you know, he's not going to get the ball as much as he does at South Point. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, hopefully he's ready to contribute right away. They could have used him last night when they were using their, their third-string quarterback as their backup running back because they only have one healthy scholarship running back right now. Yeah. Too bad they can't get him a year early. <laughs> uh, well... There was a lot of fun football action. Um, we'll be back to preview that ASU-Michigan State game, which yes, it, 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 if, I, if we had access to somber-sounding music, I would play that <laughs> when I say we're yeah, going to preview yeah. that game. Well, I, I sent you uh, a few days ago, I sent you that thing from Tho Politi about the cycles of the offseason and how you go from you know uh, worry to unreasonable optimism. Maybe we'll see that happen in us in the next four days. I doubt it. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe our tone will be different on Thursday when we talk before the game. We'll, we'll feel better. I don't right now. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see if that happens to us as fans, and then reality might hit us in the face on Saturday. Yeah, maybe the, the starting too deep for Michigan State offense and defense will <laughs> get food yeah, poisoning yeah. or something yeah, not yeah, serious, have, uh, but will keep them out of the game. Yeah, five of their defensive starters will all be suspended for one game for conduct detrimental. They'll all decide to, uh, you know, attack the coach and call him slurs and then punt the ball and then, oh, wait, no, that's Antonio Brown. Sorry, I was thrown off there, yeah. We didn't even get to Antonio Brown, (laughs) the the newest member of the Patriots wide receiving corps. um, Who Apparently it's exactly what he wanted and it was all a master plan and this guy's playing chess when we're all playing checkers. I guess. Uh, I guess. Although I, I did love the story from ESPN where they quoted, I think it was Tahir Whitehead who said, I just don't understand why you can't show up for $30 million and play football. I know. That's exactly right. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, they didn't ask him to do that much. They were given, I mean, you know, like that's the thing. And I, I kind of texted you about this last night. Like, you know, I mean, if you watch Hard Knocks, and I think you did too, like, they were rolling out the red carpet for him. I mean, Gruden, Gruden loved him. Gruden was willing to let him 
you know, be himself and be be a B as he loves to call it. And and uh, and still, he couldn't be a professional for even a few weeks, for even one regular season game. The official record books will indicate he never played a game for the Raiders. But my God, did he bring a lot of drama! And what a costly mistake for Mike Mayock. Um, yes, it is. Yes, you know, it is. Everyone, and, uh, everyone couldn't believe that the Steelers only got. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Yeah, now it's they got a third to fifth round pick for yeah. that. That's pretty good. Yeah, for a guy who didn't yeah. show up. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how perceptions change over over time. Six months ago, Tomlin was was you know of the you know he couldn't control his players. And he let Antonio Brown be, you know, the, you know, a, a total, you know, problem. And boy, they got ripped off. And now it's like, oh, they got a great trade. And how about the fact Mike Tomlin kept this guy under wraps for six or seven years? So, you know, he actually, you know, he actually managed him enough to make him productive on the field. The Raiders couldn't even get him to game one. <laughs> Retroactively, make Mike Tomlin coach of the year. For the last <laughs> Pretty <season>. much, it <laughs> kind of feels like the the uh, reputation has changed. Through nothing he's done, but just being able to see what Antonio Brown is away from Pittsburgh has given us an appreciation for what they probably kept under wraps there. Uh, who knows? But uh, yeah, what a what a circus! Um, and and uh, I would just I would just like to go like three days without hearing his name. Um, but I don't know that that's going to be possible. It well, just I wouldn't like watch. I'll tell you this: I wouldn't watch Sunday Night Football if you wanted it to start today. Oh, I know <laughs> it's going to be horrible. Even though he's not even playing tonight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they they probably threw out their entire script of intros and leads and all that good stuff, and, and everything's going to revolve around him now. They're just going to mic him up. I and they probably might. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wouldn't be surprising and have him have him in the booth with uh, Alan Chris. Yeah. Talk to Juju Smith-Schuster about what he thinks. It's going to be Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Juicy subplot. I'm sure the only thing NBC's upset about is this didn't happen 24 hours before so that he could play in the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, now we're getting live footage of him arriving in uh, New England. Mm, yeah. Good. So he, on hey, what, ESPN or yeah, NFL or on something? ESPN. He, he, his yeah. flight landed. He's, uh, oh, he's in goodness. New England. So he is he is getting every bit the attention he wants for for a guy who I believe is addicted to attention. This is just this is a drug injected straight into his veins. Yeah. Well, next week maybe we won't talk about him. We will talk about the Michigan State game. We will. Yes. And uh, if anything crazy happens in the NFL or who knows, yeah, maybe even right. in in FIBA if we care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's 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 officially all here. We talk. I mean, we hit them all, didn't we? Today we hit high school, we hit college, we hit NFL. That means it's truly football season now. All three levels in action. Yeah. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.